pray that they will grow in their faith, those who know the Lord, and then those who don't know the Lord will come to know Him through His Word. And people there are really excited when they hear the recorded New Testament yeah. and the rest of it that we've done. Welcome to the Essentially Translatable podcast brought to you by Lutheran Bible Translators. I'm Rich Rodowski. And I'm Emily Wilson. And before we jump into today's content, let us talk about how you can be sure that Essentially Translatable is always at your fingertips when a new episode drops. Emily, how do people make sure that happens? Mm -hmm. So you may be listening because this was delivered to your email inbox, courtesy of Lutheran Bible Translators, but we don't want you to miss a single one, even if you are away from your email inbox. Your podcast apps work just as well. So we are on Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts you name it. So you'll find us at Essentially Translatable and make sure to subscribe because then you'll get an alert every time we drop a new episode. Otherwise, you're welcome to go to lbt.org slash podcast and you can catch up on all of those other past episodes there as well. That is right. Nice job. Very well done. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I practiced. That's good. Uh, In today's episode, I had the chance to interview Janet Borchard when she was here at the international offices recently, and Janet has worked for 40 years in uh, various Bible translation ministries in New Mexico, Namibia, and Papua New Guinea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so her context, uh, unlike a lot of our missionaries who have served maybe in two contexts and very different cultural spaces, she's the only missionary that I have met that has served on three continents, and not to, you know, belittle or uh, underestimate the power of being a consultant, because that's awesome, and to be able to travel to different spaces. But really, being in and among the language community, growing in relationships that it's not passing in and out, but really investing in uh, the language community. So her time began as a single woman working in New Mexico with uh, an indigenous language community in North America, and then uh, onward. And as she's approaching retirement, she's got lots of stories to, to share of where God had led her in the Bible translation movement. So we hope you enjoy this episode with Janet Borchard. All right, I'm here in the studio today with Janet Borchard, missionary for Lutheran Bible Translators. Great to have you with us today. Good to be here. You have served in Bible translation ministry with Lutheran Bible Translators since 1982, which I just did math down. That's 40 years. So, yeah. uh, And you've been in some really different contexts on three different continents. Before we dive into those details of where you served, we'd like you to tell us a little bit about your story, how you got connected to mission, how you started in LBT, what you were thinking about before, and how God led you to serve with us. Okay. Well, a little bit about myself. I was born in the state of Oregon, and um, when I was nine years old, my family moved to California. Hmm. My dad worked for Sears, and, and he was first transferred to the San Francisco area, and then later on to San Diego. And as I look back at my childhood, I, I can see how the Lord let me, led me to Bible translation even by having my family move to California because if we hadn't moved to California, we wouldn't have gone to the church in San Francisco area where we met Norm and Barb Price, mm-hmm. who later became LBT missionaries. It was through them that I first heard about Bible translation and LBT. 
And then when I was in high school, I really enjoyed learning languages and learning about other cultures. I was involved with a group that supported foreign exchange students in our school. And then in college, I already knew that in Bible translation, we used linguistics. So I majored in linguistics because uh, I knew that that would be needed. Then after graduating from college, I applied to Lutheran Bible Translators and became a missionary in 1982. So the first place you went was uh, New Mexico. When you first started out serving, what did the work look like there? I uh, worked with another LBT missionary, Corey Contact, who is now Corey Scott. And we served uh, with a Native American Pueblo group in the state of New Mexico, which is here in in the United States. Mm -hmm. We were there for 11 years. And our situation was quite different from other people who've worked in Bible translation, in large part because at this Indian group village where they lived, some of the people there didn't want outsiders learning their language. Okay. And so we had to kind of be, we couldn't speak the language with just anybody on the street, you know, anybody that was an, uh, a, a member of the community. We had to be speaking it only with people that we knew from the, the churches there okay. that we went to. And uh, so that's very different from most situations with Bible translation. And um, one of the workshops that we went to after we went to that area, we went to a workshop that there are people that had work, were working in the United States and Canada in Bible translation. And it was to help us all with, here's ideas for how to learn language. And our facilitators for this workshop, they would say, okay, here's what you should do. For instance, you learn some sentences in the language, and you go out and practice them with as many speakers of the language as you can. And we'd suggest maybe 50 or more, oh, you know. Yeah, right. And and then they'd turn to Corey and I and say, oh, we don't know what that'll work for you, but right. do whatever you can. <laughs> and that's the way it was for us. Uh, language learning was an extra challenge, uh, but we did the best that we could. Very good. So as you are, were a new missionary then, how did your training prepare you? Where did you find there might have been gaps and and as you uh, gained experience? Yeah, before going to uh, work there with those people, I had taken three semesters of specialized training in linguistics and translation, anthropology, literacy, various things like that, and also uh, learned how to learn a language that hadn't been written down before. Mm -hmm. But even after going to New Mexico, we had these workshops, like I was saying, that language learning workshop. The group that I worked with on Bible translation, the linguistic group, LBT had loaned me to another group. And that group had these people come together, so we all came together for the language learning workshop. But after that, later on that year or the next year, we had a workshop about how to write up the grammar of a language. Okay. And we had a later on workshops about other things, including like how to work with people to translate Bible stories. And so I think we really had a lot of good help because yeah. of having, we weren't just left with the things we learned before we went to the field. Mm-hmm. We had ongoing help and workshops, and we had coaches that encouraged us. Now, in this community where you were, were you the only outsiders there, or was it still kind of a integrated community? And I'm just curious about that. Yeah, the Pueblo Outsiders don't normally live there okay. on the reservation yeah. unless you were married to someone there. Okay. Um, but the reservation is right next to the town. To okay. The town. Sure. 
And so we lived in this town, and then every day would go out to work. Gotcha. <laughs> visiting people in their homes. They thought we were just visiting. Oh, isn't it nice? You yeah. Know, you just visit them. Okay. Well, let's just work for us. But yeah. Um, yeah, so that's how it worked. That's great. So serving alongside a Native American language community is, is actually pretty unique. How did that shape the way that you viewed Bible translation and the way that you see Scripture? Well, when we were there, we determined uh, that we wanted to train the people themselves. Mm -hmm. That was part of when we went there, the idea was train them to do as much as the work as they could. Mm -hmm. But of course, first we needed to kind of have some experience doing the work with them as well. So especially at near the end of our time, we focused on giving people whatever training they were interested in having. And in one case, that there was a couple, Ralph and Rose, and they were very interested in learning more. For him, it meant one of us working with him to be able to read better mm -hmm. because he had difficulty learning to read. With Rose, it was helping her to learn how to write her language well. And then after we left, that couple actually went on and uh, they translated the script of a video about Jesus' life. Oh, great. On their own. Yeah. And an interesting thing, when we visited them later on, they were showing us how they were doing it. And then she'd take the script into the kitchen and use the microwave timer to time herself for the amount of... Oh, wow. Because each, <laughs> each portion of the script, you have to, you know, it might say you have 30 seconds. Yeah. So she'd set the timer for 30 seconds and then try to get it all in, you know. <laughs> it's like, this is really, you know, that was really good that yes. she was doing that. That was exciting. And they did. They, they finished that script. Uh, another um, linguist worked with them to, uh, to get it all in shape, and then it was eventually dubbed into the language. So was some portion of Scripture finished by the time you left, like a New Testament, or, and, and what might be the state of it today uh, in terms of what's been done in Bible translation for yeah. this language? Before we went there, the first team of linguists Bible translators who went there uh, had worked with people and did the Gospel of Mark. Okay. And then when we went, there was another team, actually. We were a, a double team. There were four of us for a while, and they had started doing uh, Luke and so and actually did all the first drafting. Mm -hmm. So Corey and I worked with people to check it to make sure it meant what it was supposed to, that people were understanding it well. So the, then Luke was finished, and Luke was printed. Okay. But... Basically, there wasn't much more that was done. Okay, sure. So uh, then you went to Namibia. I'm just trying to do math here. So that sometime in the early 90s? 96. 1996, okay. Um, and uh, transitioned to Namibia, the Dimba language community. I've actually been there, right, to Opuo. What was that transition like, first of all, after having spent that much time in the, the context you'd been? And then Southern Africa is a pretty different place. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was pretty different. It was uh, different from living in the United States with a Walmart down the street right? Yeah. <laughs> to living in Opuo, uh, which had a few stores. I mean, it wasn't like we were out in a, a remote place or right. anything like that, but it was a, a very different thing. And also for me, uh, that my, my assignment there was for a year and um, I stayed there a year and a half, Okay. but because I wasn't able to learn the language very much didn't have the time to do that along with the responsibilities that I had. Sure. So it was very socially isolating. Because okay. I, I couldn't, there weren't a lot of people 
hardly anybody knew very much English. The mm-hmm. pastor I worked with, Pastor Tolu, he, he knew English quite well, and some of the younger people. But I, So I couldn't really be social with people. Yeah, that'd be and hard. So that was hard. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, so I don't know if you can confirm this or not then, but I'm told that Opuo, the name of the place in one of the local languages, means the end of the road. So I don't know if you ever heard that one before, but yeah, yeah, that is it, basically what it is. It's finished, <laughs> so. or the, and it can mean like the end of the road. Okay, gotcha. So, um, yeah, how did you grow during that time in Namibia? What do you think was the, the most rewarding part of your time of service there? I, I was in... Namibia, as I said, for a year and a half. And there were two things that I was to do. And one was to help with a language survey uh, because we wanted to find out whether the Dimba people really needed a translation in their own language or could they understand the languages that they lived interspersed with. There were two languages that they, they, uh, language groups that they lived with. And so I learned how to do a language survey because I'd never done that before. Yeah. Very, I've done quite a few things, but I worked with Barbara Cameron, who was an LBT person, and, and with Sue Hasselbring, another LBT survey person. They taught me and worked with me to come up with a, the survey, and Barbara did it with me. So that was where I grew mm-hmm. in, in that kind of thing. The most rewarding part for me was probably that I was able to develop training materials and to train the translation team because that was the other reason I was there, the second reason, to train the Bible translation team so they could do a better job. And then we, I worked with the team, and we all together worked to train other speakers of the language to go over the translation and give suggestions for how to improve it. And, uh, yeah, the Dimba people, their New Testament was finished and dedicated in 2012. So how does it feel to, I guess, have had a hand in that to some degree and know that these people have uh, God's word in their hands now? Yeah, it was really nice. I wish I could have gone, but at the time I couldn't go. But it was neat to, to hear about that and to see pictures and stuff like that of, and uh, that, that they had God's word in yeah. the New Testament. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then uh, so you had a placement in North America, New Mexico, out in the Southwest. So that's already even a unique part of the United States. Then Namibia, Southern Africa, and a remote part of that, and then Papua New Guinea. So how did you get started with the Ipili Bible Translation Program? What was your connection that, that uh, took you to Papua New Guinea? Well, I married into it. Okay. <laughs> when I finished my time in Namibia, I uh, returned to the U.S. to speak in churches before I would go on to another assignment with LBT. The intention was that I would go to Botswana. Okay. And while I was at my parents' house in Oregon, I got a letter from uh, Betty Lou Blickon, who used to work at the LBT office, our office that was in Southern California. I knew her from that. But now in 1998, she was a church secretary in a church in in Orange County. And um, she sent me a letter, and she says, there's this guy, Terry Borchard, He's a Bible translator in Papua New Guinea, and his wife, Kathy, died last year, and and he needs to get married again. <laughs> so says his daughter and I. That's what Betty Lou said. Okay. And I, I was like, I was 42 years old. I'd never mm. been married. Okay. Single Bible translator. And if you go as a woman Bible translator, it's not too much chance you're going to get married after you get to the, to the field to work. You know? yep. So I was in shock at first. And then I wrote back to her, and I said, yep. I'd be interested in meeting him. Okay. And um, at first I said, are you sure he wants to get married? She says, oh, yeah. So then she asked him that, and then he wrote me a long letter and said, yes, I'm very interested in getting married again. 
And um, so we arranged to meet on Ash Wednesday at a church service. Wow. And that's how we met. And it was a Lenten romance. <laughs> <I> love- <laughs> Did you get married on Easter? Or what? No, no, no. Okay. Uh, we got engaged the Wednesday after Easter. Gotcha. Yeah, got. Uh, we were married in August. Um, so uh, Terry had already been working in Bible translation mm-hmm. for close to 30 years. Wow. And he was fluent in the Ipili language. And so it made sense, even though I was trained to do work in translation and stuff like that, it, it made sense for him to concentrate on that and for me to do all the other things that would help uh, him to be able to do his work and not take away his time from working on the translation. So I did things like paperwork, correspondence, and helping produce items of literature for the people to use in this in the language. So, you know, they would, before they had the New Testament, they'd have a chance to see their language and, and, and things like that. Right. And there was an Ipili New Testament. When was that one dedicated? I think it was before Limbo, right? But uh, Yeah, it was... Uh, finished and printed and dedicated in 2008 2008 okay very good so that was then you were around there for about 10 years before that new testament dedication right is something like that okay so moving from the other two locations to png where what kind of situation were you in living there and um how was that yeah how was the different culture and location the living situation was was on a what we call a translation center. Okay. So it was where, because in the country of Papua New Guinea, there have been a lot of people working on Bible translation, and uh, this organization has a center there. Mm-hmm. And once again, I was loaned by Lutheran Bible translators to this organization. And um, so it was kind of a very international community. Okay. And it wasn't, because of the situation, the e-police situation, we weren't able to live in the area. Mm-hmm. Terry had lived there many years before. Oh, wow. Okay. And, but this in the Ipley area is one of the largest gold mines in the world. Hmm. And it's sort of like the Wild West there. Wow. <laughs> and it's, so it's really, uh, there's no way that Terry would want me living out there. And, and even he just being out there, it was, it was not safe, very safe. So uh, that's what why we lived on the translation center. And we would have equally people come to work on the translation there. Very good. And yeah, just, I guess for, you know, folks listening in, you compare and contrast like a, a New Mexico or a Namibia, you can, the big wide open spaces. And, and even though you lived very isolated, you could drive there from a long ways away. But in Papua New Guinea, it's a, it's a small Island, but travel is pretty difficult, right? You're in this translation center, but if you go to different places, um, you're taking planes or going through jungle, or how does that? Um, well, actually, the Ipoli situation, uh, where the gold mine is, is at the end of what they call the Highlands Highway. Okay. So you can drive. You can drive. There. Okay. It's about a day and a half drive from where we lived on the translation center. Gotcha. You can also fly there. Uh, and then the other more rural part of the Ipoli area, you pretty much need to fly there. Mm-hmm. All right. So what was exciting to you about the program or unique about the the Ipili situation? For me, the unique thing was that it was the first time that I actually helped to finish a New Testament (laughs) translation. Because it didn't happen in New Mexico, and I wasn't there for the end of the Namibia one, the Dimba one. And and as we said, the Ipili New Testament was finished and dedicated in 2008. And then the next year, 
the New Testament was recorded with different voices used for different characters. And then uh, a year or so later, the, a film about the life of Jesus was dubbed into Ipoli. And then also later, uh, several years later, uh, a film about HIV AIDS, which was a, a big problem in Papua New Guinea, was also dubbed in the language. Uh, when, when the guys were, when we had people in to record the New Testament, they saw this video about HIV AIDS that the, that the Seventh-day Adventist Church had done. And they said, we need to do this. Okay. And so they were the ones that said, we need to do this. Yeah. So we eventually did. Yep. And then we also started work on the New Testament. Okay. So in this situation in Papua New Guinea, um, how were you stretched? What, what were the challenges you faced there? Well, the biggest challenge that I faced was that my husband, Terry, got cancer and he died in 2014. Mm. He, he was diagnosed in 2007, but we were still able to go to Papua New Guinea for several of the years and stay there for six months at a time. Mm -hmm. That was good. But after he died, then I took over as being the advisor because before he died, I talked with the main translator, Pastor Mondita, and he and I both said, you know, when Terry... Terry's not going to be here forever. Right. And we both said, yeah, we'll work. We'll, we will commit to continue working. So that was a stretch for me because yeah. I didn't know the language. Okay. <laughs> and so, but I was able to learn a lot about how it works by using this program, that translation program we use called Paratext. Mm -hmm. But that was the most stretching thing right. in that situation. Yeah, I imagine so. And so as you've continued to work then, so you used Paratext to sort of learn about the language to do are you able to speak it or you know it well in the written form? I mean, which is completely serviceable for Bible translation, but is that kind of how it works? Yeah, I, I don't speak it at all. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, I can, because in Paratext, there's a program that you can put like the meaning of each word. Yeah, right. And so by doing that and also, also the parts of the words you can put in. So I, the verb system in Ipoli is very complex, and so I was able to learn especially that, but everything else too. Um, this program called Paratext is, was a big help. Yeah. So okay. I can look at it now, and I can pretty well tell what it means, and or at least I know that mm, I think there's something wrong there, or I think that's right. But I think there's something missing or something's been added. I can pretty well. Yeah, so it gives you the, yeah. the what you need to have a dialogue with the translation staff. Right. And, and, and then I ask questions. Right up, sure. Oh, great. So in, in recent years, then, you've worked with the program remotely. How's that compare with living in country in terms of just the process and how you go about the work and, you know, what's a typical day look like? Yeah, so the process was, again, we use this program, Paratext, and, and it's really neat because you don't have to be in the same country yeah. as the people you're working with, although it is much easier and, and more pleasant if you're sitting right next to each other. But um, so, say, Pastor Mondita would, would work on uh, editing the draft of the translation, and then he, he would send that via the, via the Internet. We call that doing a send-receive. Mm -hmm. And he would send his work and receive my work or my questions because I can put notes in there and say, what does this mean? Or I think there's something missing here. I don't see this part about Jesus, uh, not Jesus in the Old Testament. We're doing the Old Testament. <laughs> I don't see this about, you know, Moses or something. Right. Um, and uh, then he would write back. And then 
so basically we work that way. It takes more time because mm. it means writing a lot back and forth, but it's possible to do it. And then there's been sometimes we've been able to sit down and use like the Skype program, the internet, um, like Zoom kind right. of thing, yeah. and be able to talk to each other. And that's made it even easier in that way. So that's how we've done it. And so I'm sitting here in the United States working in Oregon, and he's over in Papua New Guinea. There's like six or seven hours difference um, in our time there. Um, so I'm working at home. We call it remote assignment. Mm. So usually I will work in the morning on other things like correspondence, reports, whatever. And then in the afternoon I'll usually work on the language stuff. All right. And you've been able to, to go occasionally as well then, right, and and make some in-person connections. I imagine that's pretty important for the, you know, giving the project a boost from time to time. Yeah. I, I was able to go three, four times maybe mm-hmm. from 2017 to 2019. And I'd hoped to go back and stay there for a longer time. But then when COVID came, yes. <laughs> yeah. it didn't happen. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, as you've uh, you've served for 40 years preparing for your retirement, so how's that and what what's next for you? I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> so I I decided at the beginning of this year that I would I wanted to retire this year and I'm hoping and I'm planning to kind of officially retire at the end of August, but now it's become apparent that Mondita and I won't be able to finish the work that we had wanted to do on Genesis to mm-hmm. get that finished. Yeah. Uh, by then, so I will continue to work part time yeah. uh, when when he's able to work on that. So because we want to get Genesis done, it's been recorded, but there need to be some corrections. We've done Genesis, Ruth, Jonah, and the first five chapters of Exodus are finished. Okay, and so we want to get that all into one book for like pastors and evangelists, and and have them all re- it all recorded. Most of it is recorded, but some of it still needs to be. And so that's what we'll do, and we'll see what the Lord has in store for me after that. Yeah, what the Lord's timing is on that. That's great. How can uh, our listeners be praying for you? Well, pray for me as I transition into retirement, and uh, pray for Pastor Mandita that he'll be able to get to the Translation Center uh, in a few months and work on the translation, that he'll have the help, technical help that he needs to do the uh, the computer work, because that's a challenge for him. Yeah. And then pray for the rest of the people, too. It's it's a difficult life for them. Yeah. They're, with the gold mine and other things, it's just really difficult. And uh, pray that they will grow in their faith, those who know the Lord, and that those who don't know the Lord will come to know him through his word. And people there are really excited when they hear the recorded New Testament yeah. and the rest of it that we've done. Yeah, absolutely. Pray for the Lord to speak through his word and for that word to take root deeply in the, the lives of the Ipili people. Yeah, so, exactly. well, thank you for your service uh, all these years and all these places that uh, the Lord has led you. Probably didn't ever imagine all the places you'd go, like they say. Yeah. So it's been uh, quite an experience, I'm sure. So thanks for sharing about it with us today. And it's uh, great talking with you. Thanks for having me. So that interview is just a reflection, a testimony of Janet's sweet, gentle spirit, her humble spirit, and that her her focus has always just been on 
God's word being among his people and lifting up our partners in any way she can and supporting people. And she's always, so I've been with the organization eight years now, and you know, that that spirit, that that focus has always been there. And 40 years, she's been a huge blessing to our organization. Yeah. And just three very different places yes. and three very different types of ministry with different outcomes and different mm-hmm. context uh, of the state of the church and the availability of, mm-hmm. of folks to commit to uh, work in Bible translation and or even to commit to the Christian faith. And I think that listening to her tell her story about how she worked in each of those contexts and mm-hmm. just saw the the work that the Lord placed before her mm-hmm. adapted to the situation, right. um, did what was as needed, empowered people in different ways. It's a great testimony to um, a, a way to uh, be incarnational in ministry. Right. That sometimes the work that the task, the overarching task, we go about it in different ways. And I loved how, you know, when she was talking about her experience in New Mexico, the couple that she worked with and their desire, they each had different objectives. The The main goal was God's word in their hands. But by coming at learning their language and and being able to articulate it, they were able to go forward even after Janet had left that program and in that region, mm-hmm. the work continued. The New Testament is in their hands right. and how God is working through each of us that we might not see the, the larger picture or we might not be there for that culmination necessarily. He is still moving. Yeah. And the work that Janet has been doing uh, the last several years with partners in Papua New Guinea is ongoing and definitely could use your prayer and financial support. If you'd like to get involved with the Ipili language community, you can go to go.lbt.org slash Ipili, which is spelled I-P-I-L-I. That's go.lbt.org slash Ipili. Thank you for listening to the Essentially Translatable podcast brought to you by Lutheran Bible Translators. You can find past episodes of the podcast at lbt.org slash podcast or subscribe on Audible, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Lutheran Bible Translators' social media channels on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or go to lbt.org to find out how you can get involved in the Bible translation movement and put God's Word in their hands. The Essentially Translatable podcast is produced and edited by Andrew Olson. Our executive producer is Emily Wilson. Podcast artwork was designed by Caleb Rodewald and Sarah Rodowski. Music written and performed by Rob Veit. I'm Rich Rodowski. So long for now. <laughs>